Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast and joining me as Sports Radio 610 in front of the show, Sean Bajani. And Sean, I tell you what, uh, I'd love to get your temperature as we start off the show on the Astros and where they're at about, you know, 65, 70 games into the season now. Well, after today, I mean, a 9-2 victory, they're hot as hell, right? Two immaculate innings in one game, great uh, pitched ball game by Luis Garcia. The bats woke up. They hit with uh, runners in scoring position. Uh, the bottom of the lineup was clicking today. No Jeremy Pena in the lineup. As you know, he's obviously got that thumb injury. Siri for a second straight game. I mean, look, baseball. There's an ebb and flow always, constantly. Even when you're like the Atlanta Braves and you've reeled off 12, 13 ball games in a row, there's an ebb and flow. Um, sometimes you're getting breaks, sometimes you're not. The Astros, they haven't gotten, you know, a lot of breaks. Um, and teams usually don't during little slides and losing streaks. But sometimes you're not getting the breaks even when you're winning. Um, the other team's just not getting the breaks. This is a talented team. I'm not ever worried about this squad. They're not even to the halfway point. They're just beyond the quarter pole. Um, it's a fun baseball team again. And we've said that now for, what, a good five, six years running. And it can't get much better than that if you love baseball and you're in the city of Houston. You said ebb and flow and the ebb and flow of the season, but there's been not a ton of flow to the offense. And that's what I wanted to really get into you about. And I want to know, how do you fix the Astros lineup? And what I mean is the Astros love Maldonado's game manager ability too much to get rid of him. Center field's an option with Jake Myers now on the 60-day IL. Or do you go after a first base option with Yuli's struggles? Because first base, sometimes one of the easiest positions to find if you're looking to maybe deal for somebody. But, you know, Yuli is Yuli. So I don't know what you do there. Yuli's Yuli. In the last couple of ga- days, really, he seemed to have put together some really good at-bats and has shown the production at the plate. And so it's almost like, As soon as you start even thinking about, you know, tinkering with a guy or two, they seem to step up. Um, You know, Bregman's had a couple of little flashes uh, this season. You know, he had the really good start to the year and then hit a cold streak, um, seemed to get a little hot again. And now it's very, very ice cold for Bregman once again. Um, But he's a professional hitter and he's a good ball player. All of these guys are really good at the plate. I mean, it's not even a year ago that we're talking about the quality of at-bats that this team had, these same guys had in the postseason. I know Bregman struggled, uh, in particular, uh, the ALCS towards the end and the World Series. With his uh, production, he was hurt. He's gotten it fixed, shortened spring training. Uh, I know he got up to the hot start, but, you know, guys are a creature of habit and routine is vital to this uh, to, to these guys. I'm not ready to give up on anybody, really. Um, Maldonado's bat is absolutely killer. I feel like it's gotten worse and worse um, the last really year and a half. I mean, I feel like this guy used to be like a routinely 220, 230 kind of hitter. The 180 slash mark is not going to get it done. You know, if he's hitting 426-foot bombs once every 40 at-bats, that's not going to do it. I mean, it's nice when you get it. Um, it's impressive, and what he does behind the dish is incredible. Um, again, hey, hold, that- hold hold that thought for a second because I, we got to get into that. So the argument for not messing with 
Machete is his defense, like you said, and handling the pitching staff, or at least that's what you would think the argument should be. But he's 35 years old now. According to defensive metrics, Sean, he's declining. His defensive war, 22nd in the league. It, it, you can see the slippage over the years in these last few years. It's, it's, you know, the numbers are starting to show it. And as far as handling the pitching staff, staff has a 3.29 ERA with Maldi catching 2.51 when Castro is catching. That's almost a full run worse with Maldi last who's, year. Who's Castro catching now? Well, if that's the argument last year, Maldi and Castro's catching ERAs were identical. So there was no Justin Verlander last year. And, you know, Castro's getting in like a fourth of the time. So it's not just Verlander. Plus, if anybody wants more info on this Maldonado defensive myth, there's a great piece LarryTheGM.com did. So go check that out. But, Sean, I guess I'm saying you can trade for just about any catcher, and it's an upgrade over these two combined. I mean, both of them are terrible offensively. They're, frankly, together terrible defensively. But I'm sure the Astros don't want to trade major pieces because they have both Corey Lee and Yonder Diaz on the doorstep, although it doesn't look like Corey can hit either. He's not exactly much better than these guys. But, you know, you've got Yonder Diaz. You don't want to give up much. But at the same time, you you got to figure out a way to get better in the lineup somewhere. And, and, and this seems like an obvious place to be. And Maldi, the defensive guy, if you think he's a wizard, even though, you know, as we're speaking, I think there's 10 guys straight that have stolen off of him. Even if you think he's a defensive wizard, you can put him in late in games for that. You know, that's what the defensive catcher is. And you get a guy that can hit a little bit in, in the first few innings of the, of the ball game. You make really good points. Um, you know, I would just say this, it, it comes down to the willingness and how maybe the lack thereof would disrupt the chemistry um, in the dugout, in the locker room. And, you know, with handling the staff when he's not, um, you know, out there three, four times a week. Um, that's what would bother me. If if he'd be down for a reduction in playing time and you knew um, that you could get a little younger and a lot more productive uh, at the plate, then I'd be all for it. You know, we keep hearing um, the Cubs catcher, you know, uh, his name slips my mind. Is it Contreras? Yes, 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 that's it. You know, we keep hearing his name bandied about and – um, I didn't see the, I didn't get a chance to read the article today, but there was a story about the Cubs pulling a team or two off uh, the table, you know, for a likely trade destination for him. I don't know whether or not that would be the Astros. I don't know why it would. Um, but, you know, look, Corey Lee, he's younger. He's shown some pop um, in the minors. And I, I kind of side with this that when you're younger and you have pop, it's a lot easier to develop a guy than it is to change old habits. And with Maldi being 35, Castro being up in age, they are who they are as hitters. They might get hot um, for a stretch, but they might not. It's a lot easier, I think. And um, the, the thing know, is, though, with Castro, let me just say this. Why? Why do we have him around? I mean, it, it's nice that he's doing his last year with the Astros and, and Major League Baseball, but you can't just roll it out there. He's terrible offensively. He's never been all that good. He, he, he last year, I know he hit in the clutch a little bit and he gave you a little bit more, but you know, that was last year. That was an anomaly. Come on people. That was an anomaly with a Castro that we've known for many, many years in the major leagues is not this guy. 
And if you want to upgrade, you can at least upgrade with the backup. And and if if that guy gets hot, you know, maybe he you put him in the lineup for two or three days in a row instead of having Maldi out there shooting offers. And I'm going to just uh, point out that I, I do see some signs that I like from Maldi as far as they changed his stance, which is about time since I thought it, it was not working for the whole time he's been in the major leagues. And I didn't understand why he had such a long swing and nobody worked with him on that. And it looks like they've shortened the swing a little bit and, and he's making more contact and it's coming a little bit harder off the bat. But at the same time, I'm not going to depend on that. And you can definitely, my point is you can definitely upgrade Castro. There's no question about that. You can, um, but look, Castro is very highly thought of too, as a personnel guy and handling the staff. Um, you know, he might have future coach, future manager uh, in him one day. Um, and I, I, the level of importance on keeping him around right now, you'd have to ask Dusty, you have to ask the rest of the staff. But I see, I see that as a very, um, you know, big factor, you know, for the reason why they keep Castro around. Um, as far as Maldonado goes, I don't see that changing at, at all. I mean, if, if there is, if there is a guy that would be considered like, you know, a pulse of this organization right now, I think you'd have to include Maldi in that. Sure. It's easy to talk about guys like Altuve and Jordan and Tucker and Bregman and, uh, Brantley. Certainly there's so many of those guys. Uh, that's why this team is great. But Maldi is is definitely in that conversation as well. It is a concern. And I'll just say this, Robert. Like, you know, I, I think, you know, the way that we talk about pitching in particular and really hitting, I guess really baseball in general, this sport has become so uh, specific and specialized in positions and the demands um, that are – uh, placed upon each position, okay? I think sometimes we we expect too much. This team and no team is going to be anywhere close to perfect. Maybe right now with everything that they've done on Moss this season, the New York Yankees are pretty damn close. Um, but you're going to have your weak links. Is this team strong enough in other areas to supplant those struggles that the Astros have had at first base with Yuli at the plate, behind the dish with Maldi and Castro at the plate? I th- I think yes, and proofs in the pudding. We've seen it before. It's always been a few guys step up, you know, in August, September, and October when it really counts. We've seen it time and time again. Well, and- we've seen it not so much this year, though, because, because they haven't had this type of struggles. I mean, Yuli hasn't been – this bad except for that weird COVID year. Bregman, yeah. you can tell me that Alex Bregman, you know, we know what he can do. He hadn't done it since 2019, Sean. He had a really good start to the year. I, like a know, week. Yeah. But, you know, for a notoriously slow starter, a guy to come out that focused and that swinging the bat that well, and never mind what he was doing in the field. He was just good old regular Alex Bregman. Um, I just, you know, People want to talk about like, well, you know, he's getting, he got married and he's having a kid, you know, and maybe that serves as a distraction and it's a new lifestyle and there's new concerns and worries and responsibilities for him. I don't know. These guys are human. Maybe that plays a little bit of a factor in it as well. Maybe he doesn't devote as much time to um, studying his craft at the plate. 
I, I don't know. I don't want to talk about that because it's a guy's personal life and we just don't know. I just know from what I see and what we've all seen, the guy's a hell of a ball player and I'm willing to give him, and I think deservedly so, he deserves the time to fix it and to become that guy. He's not a 300 hitter. You know, he's a career 280 hitter. You know, he's going to drive in 90 for you, hit 25, 26 bombs a season, you know, quite similarly to that of Yuli. You know, Yuli's not going to hit for great average, but the on-base percentage is what's really concerning for me. You know, a guy that's, you know, leading the lead, leading the team in doubles, and, you know, he's up there in a lot of the statistical categories except for averaging on-base and slugging, that's, that's kind of worrisome for me. But it also comes down to having great at-bats. And this team, in large part, has kind of fallen by the wayside a number of times this season, Robert, where they have not put together great quality at-bats and prided themselves on really getting deeper into counts and finding their pitch. I go back to what Jose Altuve said before the season even started. I think he said it during spring training, a reporter, it might have been Chandler Barone, asked him uh, you know, about his approach at the dish this year. Uh, what he's been working on. And he said he's really going to focus on not trying to hit as many home runs. Well, <laughs> you know, Altuve seems to have not lacked on the pop, but we know he's not a 275 hitter. We know this guy's a heck of a lot closer to, you know, 295, 305. He's a 300 guy in this league. Um, that's what he can be. That's what he's been. And so I just think it's the approach for a lot of these guys. Dusty Baker uh, gave Alex Centron a lot of credit after today's game. Um, talking about how he's worked with some guys and they're starting to see the fruits of the labor pay off now. Um, I think, you know, you need to give it another 20, 30 ballgames, really the rest of the season with this talented group. And you're going to see these kinds of ebbs and flows. Yeah, I, I wish I could say what you, what you think about Alex Bregman, but, I, you know, the fact that I haven't seen that guy in three years is starting to really bother me. And this is not a two-week sample size, a month sample size. This is nearly half a season sample size this year, not to mention, you know, we know the injuries last year, but we really didn't. We never we never saw a stretch, even when, you know, maybe he was healthy early in the year or something like that. We just didn't see that stretch at all last year, obviously. He was terrible in the COVID season. I mean, he wasn't that good that year either. I mean, you got to go back to that 2019 season where he was really good and, you know, Five extra base hits and no home runs in the last month. That's what you've gotten from Alex Bregman out of the three spot. And Sean, I, I got to speak to Dusty's obsession with leaving Bregman in the three hole and his hatred and putting two lefties or two righties or whatever back to back. Remember that he expressed concern into that post game about consistently going with Tucker and Jordan back to back, even though the numbers explode this argument. I don't get it. Just look like it's I, if I can look at baseball reference, Dusty, you can look at baseball reference. The real story for his career, not just this year, Jordan, his OPS versus lefties is 921. It's yeah, it's better against righties, but that's Hall of Fame numbers 921. Who else in your lineup is going to give you that anyway? Who cares? Um, that's that's a Hall of Fame player right there. And for Kyle Tucker's career, his OPS is actually higher against lefties by one point when I checked prior to Wednesday's game. So it makes zero sense why Tucker and Jordan aren't batting third and fourth in the lineup, and you can even argue that Jordan and Sean, you can make this argument that he could be batting third in the lineup because he's your best hitter. Yeah. I, the statistics are, it's inarguable, you know, look at the numbers and they tell you, they tell a story. Um, I'll say this though. Um, just trying to be objective because I think we're all, <laughs> you know, um, looking at the numbers and wondering 
why Dusty's not doing this, not doing that? Why don't he tinker with this, move some guys up and down in the lineup? You know, why wouldn't you do that, um, especially at this stage of the season? Look, you've seemingly taken uh, full control of the AL West, and if there's an, ever an opportune time to do something like this, now would be the time. Or why hasn't Bregman asked Dusty to move him down in the lineup the same way we saw Altuve do it a couple of years ago when he was struggling? We asked the same question last postseason, <laughs> you know, yeah. when Bregman was struggling. And we didn't we didn't get a uh, reasonable or logical solution to that. I don't even think we got any explanation for that. But just having looked at this and using that as a prime point, much of the time, you know, we're watching these games every day. You know, we're looking at it through our lens, but not the dusty lens, not the staff's lens. You know, he's looking at a guy maybe that's grinding every single day. And, you know, uh, whether that tugs at the heartstrings or not, he's going to give a guy like a professional opportunity to fix it. You know, I think that happens. I think that's real. It's, it's not the same for us. Like we just want results and we want everything to be fixed. Well, you can't, he couldn't, wait in the world series to do it because it's the world series he couldn't even do it then why yeah. would i expect him to do it in the regular season he's gonna ride or die with the guy and it, it for his whole career justy it's it's worked out when it's long-term regular season your guys trust you or whatever but at some point that's been dusty's big fault sometimes he might stick with somebody too long because Dusty trusts the guy too much. And you wonder why he hadn't won a World Series with all of his playoff appearances and all the wins and everything like that. Sometimes it, it comes down to that. Sometimes you just got to go, hey, at some point, I love my guy. We're buds. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to love everybody in the clubhouse and make a point. But you got to pull it sometimes. You got to pull the ripcord on, on this. It's, you know, it's, it's for the team winning for the team, and I just don't get the Bregman love and why you stick him in the third spot. Frankly, he's at best the sixth best hitter in, in this lineup, maybe the seventh best hitter at this point. I mean, it, it's not even a question, really, when you look at the numbers. Yeah, I'd like to go back and look and see, you know, where um, maybe not particularly with Dusty, but even when AJ was here, um, what they've done with Bregman, you know, to kind of get him going different spots in the lineup that he's hit. Um, you know, maybe that's useful. Maybe it's not useful just given um, the production, you know, that Jordan's now having in this lineup on a routine basis um, because the lineup is certainly a lot different now than it was, you know, three, four years ago even. Um, but it's certainly worth a look. I mean, I, I don't disagree with you there. I'm just kind of offering a little perspective as to why maybe this, uh, some of these changes haven't taken place. If, you know, if it's me, I'm looking at it just how I broke it down. You've got control of the AL West right now. You're playing some pretty good baseball. Um, pitching is overperforming. Um, and look, it's we've got to figure out what's going to work. And this may not be the first time you have to make a little uh, change in your batting order. But go ahead and do it and see what happens. I can't imagine that any little tinkering – um, this team, which is um, laden with veterans and World Series and postseason experience, would take it to heart and have a bitter taste in their mouth from maybe being moved down in the lineup two or three uh, notches to help them out. And if you get moved down in the lineup, it doesn't mean you we can't move you back up. This isn't permanent. Exactly, exactly. But you know how it goes. I mean, there, there, there's always a reason. 
there's always a reason. And, you know, with Dusty, I don't know if this was, you know, maybe a, a major criticism of him in San Francisco for all those years, maybe in Cincinnati. I don't know, maybe wherever he's been. But, well, he's a former player. And, you know, he's a player's manager. We've heard that uh, term throughout sport. Maybe that's what is biting him in the butt. But I also think that's what's helped him to, um, you know, his enormous success as a manager uh, in, in the majors and still does to this day with this talented roster. What do you think of uh, Medicevic? Because they just brought him up as an option to maybe sub for Yuli, hitting 313, over 1,000 OPS in Sugarland, bats left. So you'd think platooning him with Yuli makes sense. But then when you looked at the numbers, Yuli's OPS 66 points higher versus righties than lefties. Uh, I, I think you got to play him, though, over Yuli quite a bit. Uh, and use this as a trial period before the trade deadline because, you know, we, we could say we know what Yuli is, but he's also 38 years old, and we know, you know, Father Time's undefeated. I mean, I think, you know, the guy uh, has performed at the minor league level. He's going to get an opportunity. But, you know, I go back to this. Yuli started to really look a lot better at the plate the last couple of games. You know, he's taking some better at-bats. I went on Saturday, actually. Um, now everybody underwhelmed Saturday, but Yuli took some really good hacks. Um, and I like what I'm seeing from him at the plate. And I'd be so inclined to think that Dusty's going to be giving Yuli every opportunity during the stretch to kind of break out of this slump, you know, the short series in Texas before they come back home, uh, a place that they have played fewest out of any team in the majors, an opportunity to come in and get settled in. Uh, I also think, you know, Matevich is going to get, um, you know, some real good looks too. maybe, um, you know, late in the ball game uh, kind of action. Um, and I wouldn't even be surprised if he gets a start, you know, when they come back home just to kind of get him settled in and to see what the guy can do um, in, in a, in a day's routine, if you will. I think this is a great time to do it. You mentioned the trade deadline. I don't know if that has, um, uh, you know, great impact uh, for Dusty or or Click for, you know, those positions in particular. But I think they're just trying to find guys right now that can be productive later in the season, but also give guys a spell if they need to work some some kinks out. Then um, we have to have guys step up at this point in time. And Siri's been a guy that could do that. Aledmus Diaz has been a guy that could do that. Let's see if Matevich is going to be another guy uh, that can give the Astros a little bit of breathing room um, to help some guys work some kinks out. I'm going to give you Hunter Brown's numbers in Sugarland at the moment. Speaking of guys that might be able to help you as the season Woo! moves along. Yeah. 12 games, 52 innings, 2-5 ERA, 1-1, whip, 73 strikeouts, 25 walks. The stuff is just crazy if you've seen the videos of Hunter yeah. Brown. Uh, should they, should they bring him up as a reliever? And I say reliever because you risk serious injury if he's immediately jumping into a big league season with the playoffs too. So, you know, that's what he would be for you. If you want to have his help in the off season, he would be a reliever. And there there's obviously spots in the bullpen that you could, you could upgrade. <laughs> we know that to be fact. Yeah. Uh, the guy's numbers are, are sexy as hell, man. Like, you know, we've heard his name for, for quite a while now, and he's done nothing but prove himself. Um, he he deserves an opportunity. If, whether the Astros do it or not, I the more and more I look at the situation, I just it's hard for me to get a pulse. Like I think I know the answer similarly to, you know, what we're talking about with Dusty and Bregman and Yuli and Maldonado and you know, why are these guys still in there? 
I think Dusty's going to continue to give these guys opportunities to work themselves out. I wouldn't be surprised. I would be shocked, in fact. I would be shocked if Hunter Brown wasn't called up, um, you know, in September um, when rosters do expand. Um, Beyond that, like, if he's called up before, I think it comes down to injury, and they just can't afford to waste this guy um, and his talent in the year 2022 in the minor leagues. You're going to have to give him a cup of coffee in the bigs and see if he can produce for you. And look, at the end of the day, if the guy keeps putting up those numbers and shows that he's big league ready, there's only so much a big league team can do at some point. You're going to have to bring him up. Um, So I think it absolutely happens. There's no question about that. It's just when. Yeah, and I, I've said it before, but just to leave a, the note for anybody that hasn't seen me or watched the podcast or listened to us before, uh, Anoli Paredes, you know, his numbers are looking pretty good in Sugarland this year. He had a he had a great arm a couple of years ago. It looks like he's you know gotten back to what he was, and his his controls a little bit better. And that's another guy to you know to think about before I pivot to because I want to get to some Rockets conversation, Sean, but just want to remind everybody who regularly listens to the show, subscribe on my YouTube page. If you haven't already, it doesn't cost you anything in this, you know, inflation, it costs you nothing. You don't have to watch a single video. <laughs> just takes a, a couple of quick seconds and a click uh, subscribe. It's a super easy w- way to support the show. And if you already subscribed, really want to thank you. And, and Sean, let's get to the Rockets because what do you think of likely future Rocket Paolo Bancaro? That's going to likely be the guy in eight days unless there's a shocking revelation that I'm not expecting in the next uh, week or so. Everything that I've read from, you know, Sports Illustrated guys, you know, all the national publications, really, they've got this guy, Pablo, um, you know, going to the Rockets. Um and, you know, well, you're going to have to learn his name. It's Paolo, not Pablo. Don't, Paolo. don't, don't get that messed up. Man, I'm thinking of Pablo Prigioni, maybe. <laughs> oh, uh, no, but, don't, don't, don't think of him. Uh, yeah, Paolo. Boy, he's got a sexy name, too, talking about the freaking numbers, you know, for uh, Astros prospects. But everybody I've looked at, and I've got it pulled up here. I mean, it's just crazy. Um, like it's across the board. And I feel like this guy almost came out of nowhere because I don't feel like it was that long ago. And I talked to my brother, uh, Ali Khan, you know, who's, uh, does rocket insider on Twitter and a fantastic job writing for the athletic. I mean, he's been, I think, um, <laughs> you know, everywhere else, but Paolo Benchero. I don't know his thoughts on this, but I've looked at his highlight reel. You know, you told me we were going to talk about this a couple of days ago, and I was looking at it last night, and, I mean, I'm blown away. <laughs> you know, I love the guy's skill set. He looks incredibly talented. Looks like he might seamlessly fit in with his game, with this Rockets. However, I'm a little, I think we probably all are, like a little skeptical about the direction of this team right now. Like, what's going to happen with Christian Wood? And I think there's a lot of players in this team. Like, who's really going to be a part of this? But, you know, this guy is looks like an incredible talent. And in the NBA, this day and age, like with the way that the game has, I think, changed just over the last 10, 15, 20 years, boy, you know, right time, right place, right organization. Does this team, does this Rockets team have the right staff to, to continue to develop him and grow him within this roster? 
are they ready to take the next step? I think that's a huge question when you're talking about a guy like Paolo, because, you know, as talented as he looks to me, all of these guys in the first round outside of your top five picks, you know, are very, very raw and they could go either way. You know, I hear a lot about Chet Holmgren and I look at that guy and I'm just not buying it, man. I'm just not buying it at the next level. It's a hard pass for me for him. Um, Paolo is pretty dang close, but I'm not going to say like it is <laughs> lock him up and throw away the key type of situation. Do the Rockets have the staff put in place and the talent on this team to help him grow his game? Well, I don't know if you know, but the, the, at the moment, they don't have a staff outside of Steven Silas and John Lucas because they got rid of a bunch of the assistant coaches. So, yeah, that that's going to be a question mark. But you just got to get the talent. And if the staff is wrong, that's an easy replacement. But you don't get a chance to get these top three picks that often. Paolo looks like the obvious one that would be there for the Rockets. It looks like this is a top three draft. It looks like, you know, Paolo is, you know, absolutely one of those three guys. And you can debate which one should be higher, you know, early this year. He was the he was the absolute number one guy, and then Jabari Smith took over, and 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 Chet was talked about as well, and there was there was a big debate or whatever. And look, the one thing that you're concerned about, and everybody knows this: defense, defense, defense. And and I don't know how long it's going to take him to be good defensively, but the other two guys that are going to be picked out of him, I think, are going to be way better defensively and much more likely to change the Rockets defensive look overnight which is where they need the change to happen since they were dead 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 last yeah Apollo is a rocket though the one thing that I will say is Kevin Porter Jr his only role as a point guard should be bringing the ball up the floor because what Paulo can do and I'll look at it as positives is he's a great distributor great passer and you want Paulo Shangoon or Jalen Green initiating this offense not Kevin Porter, because, you know, also this is respect to Kevin Porter. He's become a really good three-point shooter, so there's no question the best way to utilize him is, you know, if, if he's the guy to bring it up the court, fine. But once you get there, Shane Goon and Paolo can be elite distributors from what I've seen of Paolo's game at Duke and what I've seen with Shane Goon so far. Obviously, there's no question he's an elite distributor if you watch them this year at all. I see the willingness, you know, from Paolo to be a, a, a plus defender, you know, in the NBA. I mean, he had, you know, flashes, um, you know, I recall at Duke um, and everything that I've read, you know, scouting reports. I mean, they say that it's there. The willingness is there. It's, you know, does he have, is he going to have the talent around him? And this is kind of where I go back to, you know, are you going to have the talent around you? Because all the other four guys on the court help you become a better defender. But, at you know, at the impetus for everybody, it comes down to will. Do Is this is this a part of the game? You know, never mind, you know, your shooting touch or your scoring ability or your craftiness or whatever the case may be offensively, but defensively, do you have the willingness to be better? Watch, watch, watch Pritchard in the NBA Finals and tell me that guy is not giving you everything he's got and doing a really good job defensively, even though he's limited. Pritchard is not a good athlete at all. He was, he's a bad athlete by NBA standards, 
But look what he's done with the Celtics in the finals. Hey, look, and there's there's guys like that. Just just get it, you know. Like what what am I going to bring that is invaluable, irreplaceable, and understanding your weaknesses. Okay, look, you know, I've, I'm limited offensively, but I got guys to pick me up. Where can I add the most value in a particular situation, in a particular series, an NBA Finals? Defense, you know, like, yeah, he's not a terrific athlete, but, like, I mean, come on. Like, it comes down to positioning and angles and understanding switches and just the game. Like, you can look like a better athlete if you understand the scheme. And, you know, how smart of a – basketball player you know what is Paolo Benchero's basketball IQ like these are all questions to me it's got to be very high like there you don't get considered you don't get talked about like if you're Jabari Smith if you're Chet Holmgren if you're a Paolo Benchero you're not talked about as a top three top five hell even a top 10 pick uh, in most drafts if you're not a smart basketball mind um, with the rare exception of you being maybe an uber talented kind of, <laughs> you know, uh, freak, which I don't really think that we have in this draft. And I, I can't recall really the last draft where I was like, Ooh, wow. You know, there, here's this one guy or one or two guys. It's this incredible athletic freak outlier. You know what I'm saying? Zion, Zion would be that guy. You know what? Like, yeah, I guess, but. Well, he just hasn't been healthy. That's the problem. I mean, there's no question. He's he's an incredible athlete. When he was healthy a year ago, that, that season, he was great. You're not going to get a big argument from me. I just, I was not sold on Zion. I just, something about him told me the guy's not going to last. You know, I, I don't know if it was his side size and the way that he played the game that, you know, maybe I talked myself into and, so far, I've been right, like a lot of other people, I think, that he's just not long for the game in the NBA. Um, his body's going to give out on And I just think we saw those outliers, those flags in college. And, you know, you know, all that to say this, like, we're talking these guys, they're, Pantera's uberly talented. I, I just, I'm looking at it through maybe like my Rockets lens, like, it's time for this team to take the next step. You know, it really is. And I thought last year we've had passionate conversations about this, you know, on this podcast, Robert, you and I have about how skilled and talented I think this Rockets roster is. And I think, you know, to some degree you agree as well, but there's just a whole lot of me, me, me players. There's not been a whole lot of chemistry. And is Banchero going to be a guy that can come in and, um, you know, be that additive to selfless team basketball, you know, for this Rockets team to take the next step. And everything that I remember watching at Duke and so far having read, I think, yes, he absolutely can be. But is he better than Jamari Smith if he's available at three? Well, Jamari Smith is not going to be available at three. So I can tell you that for a fact. But my three favorite options of the guys that are likely to be on the board at 17, I'm just going to say Santa Clara's Jalen Williams, G League Ignites, March on Bochamp, and LSU's Tari Eason, all three wing defenders with big wingspans. The Rockets need that pretty badly. I've become really concerned about Eason after some bad draft, draft workouts and interviews that are floating out there. No idea what to make of those leaks, but you know that that's something uh, to, to mention um deandre ayton do you have a you know a desire to uh, get him if he 
becomes available for the Rockets because Rockets Twitter discussing the idea for the sign and trade. And I don't know if there's any smoke to the idea or it's just wishful thinking that the, that the Suns or the Rockets would be interested in, in, in doing a sign and trade here. But would you want him? DeAndre Ayton is, you know, an exceptional basketball player, I think, Robert. Um, you know, he's about as versatile, I think, as a center as you can find in the NBA. Having said that, um, I don't know that he's feasible for the Rockets, you know, for what they're trying to do. Um, is he going to be a cornerstone for this organization for the foreseeable future if, in fact, they're able to nab him? And that means, you know, for the next four, five, six seasons. He's 22. Is he who he is by now? Is there room for growth? Um, you know, I think that's a concern for me. Hell of a basketball player in Phoenix. You know, he had a Hall of Fame point guard uh, running the show for him. And Chris Paul, you know, he rebounds well, solid defender. Um, I guess my biggest concern for him is offensively, you know, outside of being a lob guy, you know, he's got like a, a little jump hook through the lane. And um, I, I just don't know if his game offensively um, is going to, I think, you know, develop to the next level. Like Clint Capella, you know, was a guy who got a lot of that criticism, but, you know, he just kind of fit for what the Rockets needed from him and wanted in that system with James Harden running the show. Um, DeAndre Ayton, it's so hard for me to like say right now because I know what he's going to cost you. I know he's young, but I don't know if that is worth it for this guy. How many other guys out there for what the Rockets are looking for from that big man position could give you something similar for much less money? And you could utilize that on, you know, a dynamic wing player or uh, another point guard, you know, down the road. I just don't see him as a Houston Rockets. So, I mean, it's a hard pass for me, I think. Yeah, I, I think there are people out there that look at him and go, he's not the ideal center in this sort of you got to guard guys on the perimeter, switch heavy playoff type of basketball. But let me just point out, he's anchored one of the best defenses in the NBA the last two years, one of the best teams in the NBA at center. Not only is he a really good defensive center, and yeah, he's not great for guarding perimeter guards, but it's it's tough to find that guy that can guard the big guy and guard the perimeter guy, and he can definitely guard big men. But offensively, he's got a pretty solid jumper from about 14 to 16 feet. He's got a good mid-range jumper, and in today's NBA playoffs, you know, I think we've seen with the Rockets, if you're just relying on threes and layups, Sometimes they're not going to be there and you've got to be able to hit a mid-range shot, which is one of his real tricks that he does. That's, you know, I think it's valuable right now, but it's not just that he's a really good defensive player, but I think the fact that he knows how to communicate and that's what you've got to do to be a great defensive player in the playoffs. He knows that from being around the Suns and being around Chris Paul and being around Miles Bridges and all of that, that is a big deal to impart on this young team that needs to learn how to play defense. Sean, that's that to me, that's the thing that I want from him. I want somebody that changes the culture and I don't worry about spending the money because who cares that you're spending money on one guy like this, because 
Jalen Green, you're not going to have to spend money on him for four years. Paulo for five years. That's the thing. You've got money to spend right now. Is, is it the right guy? You know, and I'd have to go back and look. I mean, I'm kind of going just off of what what I've seen from him, you know, the last few years. And I got to look at and, and, and I trust you, but I got to look and see what kind of mid-range, you know, game he has and how reliable, um, you know, he is in terms of, you know, being just 22 years old, you know, can I trust him to continue to develop and get better and polish his offensive game? And, you know, what is his ceiling? Good basketball player, you know, and again, the versatility is certainly there. Is it going to fit for what the Rockets want and need uh, out of that spot right now? And the money is an issue for me because, yeah, like you don't mind spending it and it's not ours to spend. But if you're going to spend near max money on a guy, is that the guy you want to spend it on? I just I, I don't know. I feel like you could do better. Um, maybe not that particular position, but for what the Rockets would be looking to potentially give up in terms of dollars and cents and a direction of this organization, which I still feel like is very foggy at this point in time. I don't know. I like him. I just don't know if he's a Rocket. One thing that I will say is you can say different positions, but it matters to have a defensive big if you want to win a championship and this guy's 22 years old and you look at the Celtics that are in the finals and Robert Williams has been their best plus minus guy. He's a fantastic big. He's the reason that they're there. That's that was the game changer for the Celtics this year. Defensively, as far as the golden state warriors, you've got Draymond green in the middle. You've got Kevon Looney, who's been the most underrated guy in the entire playoffs as their center and it's not like Kevin Looney, you know, you don't think of DeAndre Ayton as this great shot blocker and rim protector, but he's great around the basket and he's great at causing guys to, you know, re-angle their shots. But Kevin Looney's not one of those guys either, but he's a just to have that guy in the middle that's a great defensive player is a big deal. And it's not often where some guy like that is out there that maybe you can grab now. I don't know. I'm not paying him max money, but if you're telling me maybe we could get him for $30 million a year or something like that on a four or five year deal. Yeah. I, I, I could see totally being in on that depending on what other, uh, you know, what all the Phoenix wants back for him. And Phoenix is not really in position at this time to ask for much back from him, Sean, because guess what? He's a free agent and you know, they, they could have extended him. They, they weren't interested because they weren't interested in paying the money for uh, somebody like him, or they weren't interested in going over the luxury tax because Sarver is cheap. But I just think, you know, if, 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 if the, if he's interested in the Rockets and there's mutual interest, I, I, I would not be sad if they did this. Let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be sad either. I just want it to be the right move. You know, I, I've, I've grown maybe just as impatient as, you know, everybody else with, um, the demise of this organization and its struggle to get back up to, um, you know, where they belong, um, at least at this point in time, from what you would expect, just a level of respectability. And, you know, can he be a, a major part of that? You know, maybe so. You mentioned a very important word, and you and I have talked about it before, culture, being a culture fit, um, being a guy that is going to, um, you know, be a player, win at all costs. Um, you know, the Chris Paul pedigree, 
you know, that, uh, you know, he might bring having played with him, um, you know, on the court. I, I think that's, that is, that can be, that can be invaluable. Um, I, I, I won't kick him out of bed, you know, and I, I, I would love to, you know, you know, put my doubts aside and just ride with you on this one. I can just say, like, if it's a deal that the Rockets can get done for in and around the $30 million per year mark, yeah, I won't hate it. But you can't pay this guy uh, max money, even at the age of 22, and even as as good a ball player as he is, just because it's – I struggle with doing that if you're a team in this position that the Rockets are with no real identity right now. The thing about the max money is I don't know who's giving that to him. I haven't heard anybody uh, being rumored to want to give him max money. Somebody's got to want to give him. They can say we want max money, but if they don't have anybody out there asking for that now, again, I don't know if he would want to go from one of the best teams in the NBA to the worst team in the NBA the last couple of years. But, you know, he might look at the situation as, Hey, I can grow with these guys. Yeah. I like Houston. Houston's got this great big man tradition that I can jump into with Elijah Wan and Yao and, you know, Moses and all those guys. But, you know, it's just, you know, let me put it this way. I don't think it's going to happen. But if, if the opportunity was there, I would seriously, seriously look into it. And if the price is right, I would definitely do it. Sean, before I finish up, I want to give a little love to Texans tackle Titus Howard because he posted on Twitter that starting in a couple of weeks, he's going to live Twitch five times a week or going live on Twitch. I should say five times a week, interacting with fans and holding streaming series. will he'll play against the fans in Madden and Sean, the, the Texans, they need all the fan good will that they can get at this point. I mean, don't they, the goodwill is like, in short supply with the Texans. And I love that Titus Howard is inter- is using the modern means to interact with guys. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's cool. I just don't think that's the, um, uh, the age of, you know, the fan base that is really hurting for, uh, you know, the attention, the love, <laughs> you know, I think the fan base that has grown frustrated are the, uh, you know, the 30, 40, 50 somethings, you know, out there <laughs> that have been through the trials and tribulations of this organization for the last 22 years since its inception. And that, uh, you know, have seen and smelt and maybe even almost tasted this organization taking the next step. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. Look, I'm not going to kick a guy, um, you know, for trying. Okay. And, you know, appealing to that demographic, you know, that age group, you know, the teens, early 20s, mid 20s, even, you know, like there's a lot of guys out there, even my age, still, you know, Madden heads um, that love to go get it. Hey, awesome. But it's it's a start, a very minute start, but it's a start for them. Um, This this organization just has to simply and I say simply like just fundamentally come across as a competent, you know, okay run organization, just coming off of everything that has happened over the course of the last couple of years. It really needs to come from the players on Sundays, but between games, we really need to see and hear and feel like there is growth. And that comes from Lovey Smith 
on up. Um, and everybody that's going to stick themselves in front of a microphone and a camera that, uh, you know, represents them. That's, that's what it comes down to. And certain people we don't need to maybe see or hear so much from hashtag Cal McNair. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, no question about that. And the one thing that has been really positive with the Texans in the last few weeks and has nothing to do with them is Deshaun Watson, the holes getting deep, d- deeper and deeper all by design. At some point, you got to realize, hey, Casario did an incredible job getting out of that Deshaun thing as at the right time before it got worse, before you couldn't have gotten much for Deshaun, number one. Number two, uh, that is also a huge benefit if he's maybe suspended for a while this year or doesn't play at all this year because they decide to suspend him for a whole year. What that means to the Texans draft choices next year is huge, huge. No question. No question. I I don't know what's going to happen with this thing. I mean, I, I uh, heard Mike Florio, a profootballtalk.com talk about a week and a half ago saying that Deshaun Watson, it's a possibility that he, he thinks he may not play football for, you know, three years. Um, having missed last year and maybe uh, Tony Busby and the allegations continue to draw this thing out more and more and more. The NFL has to wait on handing down a suspension or a punishment rather. Um, and this thing goes to court and maybe he's suspended next season and he misses three total years of the NFL. I don't know. I guess anything is possible. I don't necessarily buy that one, but this is incredible. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that are following this just like their favorite TV drama, you know, on, on cable or, or whatever. I I'm doing the same thing. I mean, I'm, it's kind of fantasy, but I'm looking at maybe like Tony Busby as like my uh, Saul Goodman character from better call Saul and breaking bad. Like he is just orchestrating these drops like perfectly just when you think this is the week that the NFL has it all. And they're going to levy a punishment bam here's another two lawsuits bam here's an interview from the harris county detective that conducted the interview and investigation of the sean and here's what she's got to say bam here's another lawsuit today it's up to 26 now you know this is just crazy when does it end when does it stop i mean emotions aside like i'm not like kicking the guy while he's down i just can't wait to see what happens next and Whatever his future means for the Texans, you know, draft status, why? Look, the Texans are the Texans now. They have washed their hands with that situation, and they're going to have to – the only dealing they'll have with him is, you know, legally now and potentially in the court uh, if it ever does go to trial since they've been named in a lawsuit. So, you know, you kind of watch it with a side eye, but at the end of the day – we all want the same thing. We want this organization to be able to move past this. And I think it's going to take a couple of years uh, to do so because the damage that has been done here from a fan perspective, from an organizational perspective, from its reputation in the NFL. um, And it's not just been Cal. It's not just been the Casario debacle uh, and having, you know, trying to nab him from New England three years ago to Bill O'Brien. It's all of that. And it's just been a very, negative, you know, downhill slide for, for football in Houston. And I can't wait to get back um, to that trajectory upwards. And I think this season has the potential to do just that. 
in terms of wins and losses, I don't know. You're going to see four more, five more. You're going to see three. I don't know. I think it's just going to be a hell of a lot more competitive and real football being played. I'm cautiously optimistic about Davis Mills. I'm cautiously optimistic about this draft. A couple of guys in the draft wasn't super enthused about from what I heard about him, but for the most part, for the most part, the guys in the draft, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about. We've had some people talking about some of the draft picks on the podcast. They've got me excited about them. Uh, so, so we'll see, but you know, with the, with the Texans cautiously optimistic and the Rockets, you know, it, it's going to be fun to see what happens in a week and, and what they do with that second pick in the draft. And, you know, I'm, I'm doubting still all these, you know, diversions that maybe it's, you know, Chet ends up at three or whatever. I, look, Jabari is going to be gone. I can promise you that, but there is a chance that Chet could be there at three. So, and, and I, and I wouldn't be disappointed with that because there's some th- stuff about him that I really love, but you know, it, it's the fun part to me, I think is really going to be what they do with that other pick. If they decide to trade up, if they decide to trade out, if some of the other players on the Rockets, I would love to see, you know, maybe they move along <laughs> during the draft that uh, some of the veterans on the roster wouldn't disappoint me at all. But uh, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what they do. And I always like to have fun with these sorts of things like, you know, the 17th pick in the NBA draft, like who are the really good to, well, just really good players to be taken 17th overall in NBA draft history. Like you have to go all the way back. I think about 13, 14 years to when Drew Holiday was taken. <laughs> In 2008, 2009, whatever it was. I mean, it's it's pretty smart. But in the 2000s, like, there were some really good players taken at 17th overall uh, in, in the draft. I mean, I mentioned I, – I, let's see if I can pull it up. Drew Holiday, Roy Hibbert, Amon Shumpert, Tyler Zeller, Dennis Sh- uh, Schrader, uh, Schroeder. Um, yeah, and that's it. Maybe Dante DiVincenzo. Like, he's probably been the best player to come out of the 17th overall pick in the last five years, and that's not saying a whole lot. Still young, still developing, but I say that just to temper your expectations and maybe a level of importance on what comes out of the 17th pick for the Rockets, unless they move up, of course. Yeah, I I, I would love to see them move up. Um, great to have you with us. I know uh, you're going to be making some appearances uh a lot over the next month or so on sports radio 610 Back in the so. saddle baby yeah that's gonna be awesome looking forward to it hopefully you call in and give me some help oh yeah would love to do that and i uh, can't thank you enough for doing this and, and staying a little bit longer than i think we planned but just so much good stuff to talk about really thanks so much for doing it thanks robert appreciate you you're listening to houston sports talk Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.